Okay, so let me just uh, update something that I did a few weeks ago. Because I think, I mean, again, maybe, maybe this will just set up an argument. And but I don't think it will. We'll Okay, so what I said a few weeks ago, I said, look, we're, 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 people have given different kinds of accounts of the phenomena that we're worried about, and different kinds of explanations, and that they, 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 they come back to different fundamental explanatory principles, and they provide different kinds of explanations. And one of the things we want to do is try and get as precise as we can about different things that were done and what their status is. And originally, I just gave you these three classes. Uh, and I just want to go through and update this and point at what I think the issues are we're going to start to really focus in on that. So the first kind of argument was an argument from certain given symmetry or structural constraints to facts about an equilibrium state. And the example of that was this first Maxwellian uh, derivation of this velocity distribution on the basis of the independence of the velocities in the, you know, in, 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 in the orthogonal direction, right? He said, well, if you demand that, or you might, and that's for the velocity, and you might also say, well, the assumption all along is that for a box of gas, as far as positions go, the equilibrium state is one where the positions are uniformly distributed. And you might say that's also a kind of symmetry or structural argument. You say, well, look, you know, one, there's nothing to prefer one region in space over another, so surely, you know, there's always the wonderful argument by surely. So surely, if we just let the thing go randomly on its own, it'll sort of equally, it'll, it'll just spread out equally. Now that, you know, you should be able offhand to think of why that's not really a good argument, but that might convince lots of people. And it has empirical, you know, you look at boxes of gas, that's what it is. The point of that is that these approaches only ever led to claims about equilibrium states, right? Because it's pretty clear that non-equilibrium states, kind of arbitrary states, you can imagine arbitrary states that states that violate whatever symmetry or constraint you can come up with. And so you couldn't have an argument here that really did much except point you point you to equilibrium, right? The the, the, the micro description of equilibrium. The second kind of argument, which is the one David was just doing at the end of the last time and getting us into, are arguments that rely on counting arguments or measure arguments. Counting was what David was doing where you just had a finite number of boxes and a finite number of particles and you were asking how many different ways are there to distribute these particles among these boxes, right? And you could literally count how many different ways there are, and then you could ask more generally, then you ask a generic question like, well, take the case where the particles are more or less evenly distributed among the boxes, how many different ways are there of doing that, and you find, and this was the argument that David gestured at last time, that a more or less even distribution 
there are overwhelmingly more ways to achieve a more or less equal distribution than an unequal than various unequal distributions. Okay, in the case where we go from a discrete description like this, where you just have a finite number of boxes of gas and a finite number of particles, to a continuous description where the positions of the particles could be anywhere, and their velocities go anywhere. You go. I mean, you can think of the counting. Counting is a kind of measure. If you have a finite number of things, and you're putting a measure over subsets, and there's a, the natural measure in that case is counting measure, right? You just how many are in the subset. If you go to a case of a continuum, you need something fancier. You need a measure over the space of possibilities, where the space of possibilities is now some kind of continuum. Okay. So there are arguments that depend upon putting a measure on the phase space, or putting a measure on mu space, or putting a measure on some space or other that's relevant, and then arguing from that. Well, two points. Arguing to what? One route is arguing directly for what? Again, what is the equilibrium state? And that argument goes: If one of these states, if we have various descriptions, generic descriptions, and one of these corresponds to overwhelmingly most of the measure of possible states, then you say, "Well, that's probably equilibrium, right?" That's a, another way to get to equilibrium. What? Could you just clarify that? Why? Why would that argue that it's? Uh, equilibrium. I mean, how we define equilibrium is stationary in time. Uh, well, I, yeah. Okay. Okay. So, how does the argument go? Yeah, well, the, the, you could ask also, <laughs> how does this argument go? Right. Right. Good. I mean, I don't think there's really. Okay. Uh, all I'm saying is that this is a feature that you can point out that you say actually picks out the equilibrium state. And you can ask the further question, which is just what. Well, you mean it's a sociological yeah, yeah. fact that you could say that? That's right. Okay. And, and I think it's a okay. fact that people have. Seen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's an additional. You could say it, but yes, it's, you know, yes, yes. The, the mere. The mere fact that one of these states corresponds to overwhelmingly most of the possible states right, right. is supposed to be significant somehow. But this yeah, is the yeah, yeah. question. Why should it be yeah, significant? Yeah, okay, good, right? good, just, good. Just like good, good, good. Here. Good. The other thing you can do, because of course the thing that, that, will, that you notice about the thing I just did here that David finds problematic, and I do too, is that in any direct sense, the dynamics is never appealed to. Mm -hmm. Okay? I mean, that's what happened with his particles in the boxes. He was just counting, right? You know, just count how many different ways are there putting particles in boxes. No dynamics. There's another thing you can do, which is to, and this is what David was starting to get at, is that you, you use this a, a kind of measure, and you use a kind of random dynamics, right? You don't worry about what the actual particular detailed microdynamics is. You say, okay, now I have this picture of phase space. I have a measure over these various generic states, right? Macro states. How what where, what regions in phase space correspond to them? And then I imagine a kind of random walk in this thing. And the random walk is not derived from any careful consideration of scattering or what the actual force laws or anything like that. Now it's important to think a bit about. What you're assuming, what this randomness assumption is here. If you put those two together, then you can say, well, now given the structure of the phase space, if I start here and I just randomly wander around, and this is, I think, pretty close to the words that David used last time, if I randomly wander around, it's overwhelmingly likely that I'll wander 
somewhere, right? So you, you know, and, and the, the picture is, you know, imagine a state like this, as it were, that has a huge, right? A, 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 the only the only way you can escape from this state is either on this upper boundary or this lower boundary. This would say take you into state A. You are now in state B, and then sitting below it, you know, there's some state C. And you say, suppose I start in B, and I'm drunk, and I just wander. It's really overwhelmingly likely, and, and this doesn't even do justice to the relevant scales, that I'll randomly wander my way into C rather than into A, because this little surface that I would have to go through, right, this target surface I would have to go through to get from B to A is tiny compared to the target surface I have to go through to get from B to C. Right? And if I randomly, and you could imagine iterating this, right? Above A, there's an A prime and so on. But if you imagine iterating this, you're going to say, start anywhere here. It's overwhelmingly likely from there you'll wander down, and overwhelmingly likely from there you'll wander down, just on the basis of the proportional sizes of the, of the bounding surfaces. Okay? Now, what that does is it gives you something about non-equilibrium. Right, which up until now, all we've been doing is picking out equilibrium. And now this argument sort of suggests if the structure's right, if you, went, if you wander long enough, you'll eventually end up in equilibrium. Why? And now you go back, well, because the equilibrium state, now this fact, that the equilibrium state is really huge, but together with all these more detailed facts about the topology of how the states relate to each other and the surfaces between them, give you a kind of argument that says if you wait long enough, you'll probably wander in the equilibrium, and once you get in the equilibrium, you'll probably stay there for a good, goodly long time. Well, and also, from the, the topological fact that you were saying, you hope it's going to give you some hint of the right. route you would likely the, take the, towards equilibrium. Right. The route you would take, depending on how much you build into this, yes. you might get time, dwell times, mm -hmm. right? How long are you likely to stay in the right. state before exactly. you wander out? Okay, but now you're building, you know, you have to get a little more detail Absolutely about, right. about, about right. What, what this means. Right. All of this depends upon having this measure, and that raises the question where it comes from and why think it's the right thing to be appealing to, and here we have two alternatives. We've been debating, ping-ponging back and forth a little bit. David is going to tend, I think, to more come down and say, at the end of the day, the only justification for using this measure in this way is empirical, right? You just say, use it, see it works. I've been arguing that the actual measures you use are natural, for which I, you know, for which I can say a few things. One is, for example, um, this is a measure that's preserved by the, di by the actual microdynamics, so the one that comes up when proving Ruggles theorem. Or part of this measure in phase space is a measure of physical space. And we already have a measure of physical space, right? We have a measure that tells us that the actual volume, right, the proportion of the volume of this piece of physical space to that piece, and from that I can derive a measure over velocity space as well, right? I think there's a sort of natural way of measuring how many velocities between here and here, how many velocities between here and here, and that's just parasitic on this natural measure of physical space. So I can say, come down and say, I think it's really important that these are natural measures, that that gives them some explanatory status. Data tends to go back and say, at the end of the day, it's really just empirical. What are you, you know, what is this doing? Is that fair? That's fair. Okay. 
The third approach was the exact dynamics plus approach, which is what Boltzmann was doing in the paper that we looked at and what Maxwell was doing in the paper we looked at, where you don't have a random dynamics, you really start with the exact microdynamics, you need to add something to it, and from that, again, you get a, a, a dynamics for non-equilibrium, and this is exactly what, uh, what the transport equation that that, that Boltzmann derives does, it tells you how does this F function change with time, right? Uh, of course, if you have non-equilibrium, then you also get claims that follow about equilibrium if you define equilibrium as a state that if you're in it, you tend to stay in it for a goodly long time, or a state that if you start out of it, you tend to go to it. And the H theorem exactly shows you there are these special states that not only have these structural symmetries here, but also are the ones that will be will be driven to. Um, what we saw was that, you, that to, to have those arguments, you need the exact dynamics plus something else. And in these cases, the plus something else was in the first instance the Chausson-Ansatz. And, and then if you read Sklar, you can make a distinction between the Stoßalansatz, which says at a particular moment, at a particular time, there'll be so and so many collisions of this kind in the next second. And the hypothesis of molecular chaos, which basically says the Stoßalansatz will hold over a long period of time. So if you think I mean, towards the future, towards the future, right? I mean, that's the important distinction. Absolutely, right. To the future, right. Right. So not only will it hold over the next but second, we'll get to that. but whatever, wherever we get in the next second, it'll hold to the next second, and, and so on, and so on, and so on. So that's obviously no. But I mean, not only that it'll hold. That's not yeah. what one means by towards the future. Right. In order to calculate collision right. rates in the future that's of right. the time in question. Right. 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 Well, that's too. Okay. So let me. You can ask at an, even at an instant. Yes. Whether this holds to the future or to the past. Right. 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 So we want to, there's a directionality already here. Right. Right. Well, Correct. The, the, I, I believe, at least the way Scar is using it, and I don't know if this is standard practice, that the hypothesis molecular chaos. Suppose we pick the future, but we still have to, as we keep right. postulating it right. time after time right. after time. Right. But the hypothesis molecular chaos is that you can continue to use the Schlossmann-Ansatz as right. time goes on. I mean, I don't know what the standard yeah. usage is either. And, and, right. and he seems to be making that distinction right. in the book, and I believe right. that's the distinction he's making. Uh, there's another way to do this, which doesn't go through this thing, at least not directly. It takes the exact dynamics plus something, plus what? Well, plus a measure. In fact, plus more or less this measure that right. came in up here. Okay, with the same <clears throat> issues about where that measure comes from and what its explanatory status is. Okay, and this combination of exact dynamics and measure leads to things we'll talk about, typicality explanations, and so on. All right, so we haven't done that yet. This is closer to what David's about to do, I think. Okay, is to combine right. the dynamics with Let the measure. Let me just say one, I mean, it's not as if, I, I don't think I'm disputing anything you said, and I don't think I'm saying anything you disagree with. Um, but just to make it clear, there isn't any sense, at least between the two of us, it seems to me, in which the 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 
exact dynamical explanation is in any sense in competition with the, the with, with this explanation. Okay, but I take it it's completely uncontroversial that you know that where Gentile proofs are available, Gentile proofs are preferable to Jewish proofs. Okay. Um, um, you, you, uh, you know, you, uh, you appeal to a strategy like this where Gentile proofs aren't available. Okay. And, and maybe there'll be differences in the degree to which one is happy or comfortable in the absence of, a, of an argument like this, appealing to an argument like this. Uh, maybe there'll be disagreements about that. But nobody, but I think that there's no disagreement that where this is available, this is obviously the way to go. Actually, I can disagree with you. Oh, okay, good. <laughs> good. I mean, but, but in, a, in, a, in a particular way. Right. Because what, what we're seeing here is, is, is an instance of the same thing we were talking about last time, which to me is again at the bottom of this. What what is the nature of understanding or insight provided by a statistical approach? To oh, okay, good. Okay. So one can certainly say hey, this is this is a different case. Actually, neither of the things I just said. Mm -hmm. So suppose one does an exact dynamics and derives what you want. So you don't start with this random thing. You start with that. But then, of course, you might say, but here's yet a further thing I can do. I can ask what, how much detail about this di exact dynamics really played a role in giving this explanation, right? Can I, can I say, it really wouldn't have mattered if instead of being, you know, inverse squared had been inverse cube, or if instead of this, you know, are there a whole no, class of dynamics? Yeah. But still, yeah. you're going to be appealing in the kinds of, uh, in the kinds of explanations you're imagining right. to demonstrable features right. of what the exact dynamics That's right. That's right. right. So, and here, to say, and here, here, right. here is, when, when you invoke this, it's usually not claimed that you've been able to demonstrate that this is a feature of the exact dynamics. It's rather that it's plausible that it is, right, or right. something like that. Right. But you might think that this feature <coughs> is kind of generic in that it could also hold. Right. The relevant, right. the relevant right. facts about it could hold for a whole class of dynamics. Good. And then again, until you recognize that, and this is again, you can get too fair enough. Bogged down in detail, right, right? right? Until you recognize the ge right generic level of the dynamics which plugs into this. So, you know, there's a push in that direction sure, as well. Sure, sure, Good, right? Good, good. Is that okay? I mean, does everybody so you, you know, I mean, I hope the, the, the measure stuff and the, the, the places where the measures might come in is at least getting clear because I think this will. Anything at this juncture? No. All right. So I'll talk a little. Let me repeat that I depend on your interrupting me. Um, um, so um, so this is a useful summary of the state of play. Let me let me condense it, but I think just by way of repeating it. Um, um, let, let me condense it a little bit further. So here's where I take it we are. Um, um, what 
what the whole subject of statistical mechanics is aimed at either proving or, since it's not going to be able to do that, making plausible or something like that. The ultimate goal of all this activity is to do the best one can to make plausible some claim like this. Take any two thermodynamic states of a given thermodynamic system, A and B, such that there's some thermodynamic law to the effect that A um, evolves over such and such a time by such and such a thermodynamic route into B. Okay? Um, the goal of everything that we've been talking about so far, that is of all of the scientific work that we've been talking about so far, can be seen as an attempt to make plausible a claim like this. Okay? That for every such thermodynamic law, okay, there is a there is a corresponding feature of um, of the exact microdynamics together with the choice of a measure that Tim's been talking about of the following kind. That you look at all of the exact micro trajectories, okay, the solutions to the exact microdynamics, okay, that pass through B, at, uh, excuse me, that pass through A at the initial time, okay. You want to, what you want to do, what statistical mechanics is aimed at doing is justifying a claim of the form, the overwhelming majority of the trajectories that pass through B. Uh, that pass through A at the initial time. Um, um, overwhelming majority by, the, it, it, according to the, the chosen measure, okay, are going to pass through B the specified amount of time later, and moreover, they're going to go by way of, uh, 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 you know, by the thermodynamic route um, stipulated by the thermodynamic laws. That was said in an extremely confused way. Everybody understand what I was just trying to say? Yes? No. Good. Ask a question. <laughs> what were you trying to say? Yeah. <laughs> uh, here, maybe I'll, maybe I'll read it. Um, <laughs> consider a true thermodynamical law, any true thermodynamical law, symmetric under time reversal or not, to the effect that macro condition A evolves under such and such external circumstances over such and such an interval into macro condition B. What the science of statistical mechanics, what the theory of statistical mechanics aims at making plausible, okay, um, um, uh, is something like this that the overwhelming majority of the, the standardly calculated volume of the region of phase space associated by macro condition A is taken up by micro conditions which are sitting on trajectories which pass deterministically under the allotted circumstances at the end of the allotted interval through the region of phase space associated with macro condition B. Is that, is that better? Yeah? Uh, everybody, everybody see this? Okay. Um, um, once this task is done, at least the initial, now statistical mechanics may then become more ambitious 
and want to branch out from just thermodynamics and so on and so forth. But once that task is done, at least the initial game of of um, understand of, of a statistical mechanical account of the truth of the laws of thermodynamics is supposed to be done. Okay, um, this is completely neutral with respect to all of the philosophical discussions about the status of uh, uh, of the measure, uh, about its role in explanation, so on and so forth. Okay, what the scientific work of statistical mechanics is aimed at doing is justifying or making plausible a claim like that, okay? Um, and it'll be useful to fix that claim in our heads um, um, for future discussion. Um, um, and it'll be useful, I, I, I mean, there are going to be all kinds of moments in, in, in the future of our discussions where, where we're going to want to call that into question, but for the moment, Let's play the game of taking it for granted that that a claim like that has been made plausible, and and discuss what might follow or what it's appropriate to conclude from a claim like that having been made plausible. Um, that sound okay? Good. Um, <clears throat> um, good. So, um, before we go on to the famous reversibility objections, and we did a little bit of this last time, let's, and, and this is also a little bit repeating what Tim said just now, but maybe it's not useless to, uh, uh, to do so. Good. So, that's the mathematical situation. That is, um, as a mathematical matter, what it is for the statistical mechanical program to succeed is to make plausible the mathematical claim I just described. Okay? Um, now, there's been a long history of, of, uh, of, you know, attempts to, as it were, translate into English or translate into philosophy or something like that, what one will have achieved, what one has achieved by making such a claim, or what one would achieve by making such a claim plausible. I think, and like I say, Tim knows more about the history of this than I do, um, but I think it's true of a lot of physicists that something like the following is going on in the back of their heads. Making such a claim plausible is really just showing that the microdynamics themselves give you the laws of thermodynamics. Okay? Um, the reasoning there is, and I, this is rarely explicit reasoning, okay? um, um, but I take it what's going on in people's heads is um, um, is an idea encouraged by centuries of talk about principles of indifference and so on and so forth that um, um, that the measure that we're using here okay is just a formalization um, a mathematical formalization of the claim um, um, I know what the macro state is and I have no clue what the microstate is, okay? Um, um, so that so that 
what you're deriving from the dynamics is given the information that this is the initial macro state, that will be the final, uh, th that will be the macro state 10 minutes down the road. Okay? And there's a thrill here of, got, of having gotten this out of nothing. Okay? Um, um, good. And like we said last time, it feels like it should have occurred to people who were having thoughts like this that this was a little too good to be <laughs> true. Okay? And, uh, uh, and, that, and that it's just as a logical matter not the case at all that some particular distri probability distribution or some particular measure over states is the one that's sort of straightforwardly and as a logical matter connected with the claim or the appropriate translation of the claim, I have no clue, okay? The appropriate translation of the claim, I have no clue, is I have no clue, okay? And I won't assign any probability distribution and uh, so on and so forth. That, like we said last time, is every bit as respectful of the symmetries inherent in the epistemic situation as uh, as you know, writing down a uniform probability distribution with respect to some measure, and it clearly is the thing that more faithfully captures, I have no clue. Um, good. So, um, um, so that, I think, everybody wants to agree isn't the right way to think about it. The question, which we're going to be coming back to again and again, and I won't spend too much time on here, um, um, is that, I mean, let me just say two things. In the history of discussions about the principle of indifference, what people usually say to object to it, to object, say, to its use in statistical mechanics, is they say something like, look, um, there are many measures that you can, that you can consistently put over a continuous uh, set, um, no one of these measures is uniquely picked out, at least on sort of logical or mathematical grounds, as the one that uniquely deserves the name of counting up the individual microstates. Okay. So given that, um, uh, so given that there is no such, there is no unique such measure, there is no well, you know, the, the demand to give each possible state equal probabilistic weight simply isn't well formulated, okay? That's usually the objection one hears to the principle of indifference. That's fine, but it doesn't seem to me to be the fundamental objection, okay? The fundamental objection is, is more like the whole project of assigning a probability distribution which is intended as some translation of I have no clue is crazy in the first place. Okay? I have no clue just means I have no clue. Period. End of story. Okay? Um, and if you ask which probability distribution corresponds to that, the answer is that's a bad question. No probability distribution corresponds to that. No probability distribution is the faithful translation of I have no clue. Okay? Good. Yes? Just one also comment, because if you start reading around in the literature, you get these examples about the most rational way to distribute your credences right. in cases of various sorts of ignorance. And 
sometimes there are further constraints that people will say, oh, with this extra constraint, I can now narrow it down. So there's a famous case. This is just to get people your antenna on. There's a famous case where you say, oh, there's a, there's a cube-making factory, and all I know is that it makes cubes between one inch and, uh, and, and four inches along a side. And then you ask the question, how likely is it that a random cube made by this factory uh, its side is more than two inches. Okay? And then you have the following little debate. Somebody says, well, it's 50-50, because after all, uh, you know, I, I, the, the side is between one inch or, you know, not, one, one out of three. Sorry, the side is between one inch and four inches. Uh, a flat measure over that tells me that the chance of it being less than two inches is one-third. And then some smart aleck comes along and says, yeah, but I could measure the surface area instead of the, the length of the side. And if I measure surface areas and I put a flat distribution over that, I get a different result. And then some other joker comes along and says, yeah, but I could measure volumes of the cubes. And then some really fancy guy comes along and says, no, no, there's this really special measure. It's the one that gives you the same result whether you choose the linear measure or the surface area measure or the volume measure. So it's neutral. I don't say, that's the one. That's the one you must use if you're a rational human being. Now, I mean, this is just, that's crazy. You don't even know what you're asking. Right. I mean, what is it, what empirical fact are you trying to, to capture with all this nonsense, right? Like going out and looking at cube factories. I mean, is there any actual empirical phenomenon about the distribution of cubes in the world that you think is going to somehow be correctly predicted or explained by this. It's just crazy, right? It's just people who've gotten themselves into a really strange situation and don't seem aware of it. Good, good. I agree. I mean, of course, the temptation now is to say, you know, the, the funny thing about Tim is that he so eloquently dismantles this view and then goes out and asserts almost the same thing. But, <laughs> but, but, but let me, but, 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 more neutrally, here's the state of play, okay? Um, the, 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 the question is, or let me put it, let me put it oppositely. Um, 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 the thing about David is, he rejects this view and thinks that there's nothing to do but run to the diametrically opposite end of the spectrum and has no subtlety whatsoever about <laughs> investigating the ground between them or, or something like that. Um, um, but yeah, so then, so then there's an obvious opposite pole, okay? This isn't a priori, this isn't merely a translation of I am ignorant, okay? What else could it be? It could be an empirical fact. Okay, um, that this is the correct uh, distribution. That's sort of the ham-handed, clumsy, obvious next position to fall over into, okay, um, after you've got this one. And I guess a lot of the discussion um, um, prompted by a view like the one Tim is going to want to defend is whether there's, whether there's some coherent way to be in somewhere in between um, those two. Um, um, it's, uh, Tim made perfectly clear that he's not going to get on board with anything merely linguistic or conceptual or a priori here, um, but thinks that thinks that the, 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 the concluding 
concluding from that that it must be an empirical claim about the world is way too fast, and there are places you could stop in between. Does that sound Yeah, I mean, let me just tweak the statement. Um, Of course, I'm not going to deny that it's an empirical fact that this measure gives us good empirical results. Oh, sure. The, the, the question is... Neither with the principle right. of the difference. Right, right, right. right. Yeah. So it's just, this is just yeah. not the way you phrase it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The question is, is the best you can do note that right. and say, okay, right. end, of, end of game, game right. over, right. I have nothing right. more to say, right. it works. Right. Right. Or can you say, not only does it empirically work, but it has some other interesting features which play an important role in why you think it's explanatory. Right. Good. Right. Good. Rather than just descriptive. Good. Yes. Good. Yeah. Sounds fine. Good. Um, good. Let's have a. Let, let me just point to one other thing at this stage, um, which is going to which is going to raise a question, which is going to be resolved by the way we respond to the reversibility objections, or which is going to be tied up with the way we respond to the reversibility objections. So, oh, sorry, yes. Yeah, just to, um, to, uh, and thank you for interrupting. You're the yeah, first there are going to be lots of measures that give the right results. Yes, there are. Yes. So you, you're bound to appeal to something more than just empirical verification. Yes, yes you are. Yes, um, um, as you usually are in theory choice. Um, 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 but yes, you are. And well, the, yes, uh, it's, it's perfectly clear. And actually, I'll say something to drive home that point in a minute. It's perfectly clear that there are going to be many um, distributions that, uh, uh, that are empirically adequate. Yes, yes. Um, um, indeed, there are going to be an infinity of such, uh, of such distributions. Um, that's different from saying every mathematically definable distribution would be empirically adequate. That's clearly false. Okay. Um, um, okay. Good. <clears throat> Let's just say a little more about what the... Uh, so, forget about that for the moment. Let's stick with this one distribution. But, but of course, what you're saying is right, and we're going to generalize that um, um, later on. But just think about this one distribution for the moment. Um, it isn't quite clear yet exactly what the probabilistic claim that's, say, empirically adequate is. Um, that is, from what we've done so far, um, it looks, you know, what, what we've done so far, what we've seen so far in statistical mechanics might naively encourage the following thought. Okay, the empirically adequate rule is take whatever information you're given, okay, about the physical system. Take a uniform probability distribution um, relative to the standard measure, relative to the volume measure in phase space with respect to that Okay, plug that into the equations of motion and calculate forwards, and that'll give you the right answer. That's clearly not empirically true of our world. Okay, suppose that I give you, for example, information that there's a certain amount of H2O um, in an enclosure, and I tell you what the total energy uh, of the system is, and that energy is sufficient for all of the H2O to be in liquid form, okay? Um, um, but it's, if, if we were then to take a uniform, if, 
if we were then to interpret this as saying, in translating into, fre into frequencies, if we were to read this as a claim like the overwhelming majority of containers containing this amount of H2O with this total energy are ones that are entirely in liquid form. This is obviously empirically false. Okay? That is, there are in the world many, many containers with that amount of H2O in them at that energy that consist of ice cubes floating in water not at equilibrium. Everybody with me? Okay? Everybody understand this? Okay? That is, that is, say it more simply, it would be a prediction, it would be a prediction of a, of a, um, it would be a prediction of a claim like the one I just made that, that every system you run into, the overwhelming majority of systems you run into, are going to be at equilibrium um, at the state which represents equilibrium given their gross constraints, okay? That's not the way the world is, okay? This is a radically empirically false claim about, uh, uh, about the frequencies of systems of certain kinds in our world. Everybody with me here? Okay? Or, for example, you don't even need a thermodynamic case. You know, take, there's an example in this book, in, in my book about... Uh, 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 you're given the information that, uh, that every uh, apartment in New York City contains a spatula, okay? Um, um, question, is the spatula, that's all the information you're given. You're a Martian, you're being taught something about the way human beings live, and one thing you're taught is that, is that every apartment has a spatula in it, okay? Good. And then you're asked to predict whether the spatula is more likely to be in the kitchen drawer or in the bathtub. Okay. Um, it'll be much more likely that the, if you adopt a rule like this, that the spatula is in the bathtub because the volume of the bathtub is larger than the volume of the kitchen drawer. Okay. This is empirically false. Okay. Everybody with me here? Yeah? Well, yeah. maybe I should, because, I mean, just make a comment. There has been a kind of subtle reformulation of the project in what you just did. Good. <laughs> that is, a, a, a couple minutes ago you said the project is, tell me it starts out in state A. Yes, in, mac in fully defined in macro terms. In macro terms. Absolutely. And right. now you're making a temporal prediction. How will it be later? Right. What you just did is a different, just a different kind of beast. Yeah. You didn't did give me anything about temporal evolution of anything. You just said, well, no, tell, me, easily tell, me there's a, tell me there's a spatula where right then. Where is the spatula going to be in five minutes? But that it can easily be, can be cashed out in terms of temporal evolution. But I agree that the project is, that, that, that this is, that, that, that a worry like this is arising from a certain kind of attempt to generalize the project. Right. That's I mean, sure. if, yeah. Um, I mean, even if you said, tell me where it is in 10 minutes, it's right. like, you, you, there's a sort of mismatch of the levels of description. It's like you're saying, my initial description is a description that doesn't locate it. Mm -hmm. And then you're asking me, in 10 minutes, of course, it doesn't have to be 10 minutes because the evolution isn't doing anything. Right. I'm now going to put a fine-grained, a more fine-grained taxonomy on it. Good. Right? Good. And then you're saying, well, where the, the, the statistics of where they end up in the fine-grained taxonomy isn't what you get by taking a 
uniform right. distribution right. of the gross tax. Correct. 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 No, no, no. It's absolutely true. That is, here's a way, here's a proposal for construing whatever, whatever claim this word stands for. Okay, about the world. Okay, um, that is whatever empirical regularity about the world this thing stands for. Here's one proposed way of construing what regularity it is that some that some claim like this is predicting, and and this one of course needs to be rejected because it's obviously empirically false. So here's the here's the proposal. Given any description of a system X, okay, of any kind. Okay, and suppose that X is all the information you have about the system. Okay, or in terms of frequencies, given any large collection of systems about which X is true. Okay, the frequency with which something else is true about them is to be determined by putting this measure um, over the microstates. Okay, compatible with X. Everybody with me? This is, this is wildly empirically false of our world, okay? That can't be the right way to construe it, okay? Um, good. Here's, a here's another attempt. Um, don't, allow X, don't, don't allow X to be unrestricted, okay? Require that X is, and of course this is a little vague, but presumably not fatally vague, um, Require that X is something like a complete thermodynamic macro description of the system in question. Everybody with me? Okay. So it's not enough to say X is this amount of H2O um, in a container of this size with this total energy. That's not a complete thermodynamic description. A complete thermodynamic description is something that, in addition to giving you the information I just described, gives you pressure, density, um, um, temperature, so on and so forth, um, as, a, as a function of position within the enclosure. Everybody with me? Okay. That seems more promising. Okay. Um, it isn't easy to think. Uh, so, so now the claim would be, um, let X be any complete thermodynamic description of a system. Okay. Um, and the frequency claim would, would be, um, given any large collection of systems in that thermodynamic state, the percentage of them which have some other more detailed feature, okay, is given by, is given by the volume corresponding to that more detailed feature um, in the phase space. Everybody with me? Okay. This is, at the very least, less obviously false, okay. It's going to turn out that there are reasons why this is going to have to be false, too, that are going to arise in connection with the, uh, with the reversibility objections, okay. Um, but for the moment, this isn't running into the obvious problems with spatulas and, and ice and glasses of water and so on and so forth that we ran into a minute ago. Okay. It's also true that this, um, um, that it's pretty obvious that this couldn't be the whole story either, that there's some sense in which this is going a little too far in the following sense. Um, um, this, if our total science consists of a principle like this, 
plus the microscopic equations of motion. That science is going to make no statistical predictions at all about, say, the locations of spatulas in apartments. Okay? Um, it's going to have the virtue of not making obviously false predictions about the locations of spatulas in apartments. But we probably do think that there are statistical regularities um, about the locations of spatulas in, in apartments that we want to complete science to account for. So this kind of retreat is getting us out of making obviously false statements, but it may also be in a certain way limiting the, the scope of, of the science that we eventually want to come up with in a way that we prefer not to limit it. Just keep that in mind because I think um, 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 a, a sort of deeper understanding of what's going on here is going to be suggested by what we're driven to in trying to respond to the reversibility objections, which will come up in a minute. Right, so uh, actually let me just add, because David, as usual, went to the extremes. Uh, <laughs> intermediate case, which between gases, temperatures of gases and spatulas, is again, uh, take us back to day one, my box of dice. Right, okay. good, good. What we were worried about in the Excellent. box of dice was not anything thermodynamic. Excellent. Right. Right. We didn't care. It was true when we shook, shook the box of dice, it got warmer, but that wasn't what we were checking, and that's right. not what we cared about. The distribution of spots is not, in any straightforward way, a thermodynamic feature. And that's a case which you, I think that would be convinced in a much more serious way. I mean, spatulas is a really complicated situation. Right. The box of dice is a very simple situation right. where I think physics ought to get a handle on explaining the distribution. Excellent. And, and the principle that I just suggested adopting would would, 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 right. would not in any way. That's right. Way. That's right. That's right. Good. Um, um, let me just say one other thing before we go on to the reversibility objections. And this will be important to keep in mind in lots of contexts. Um, and this is, this is relevant to what you just said about, um, about there being any number of distributions which are probably going to be adequate. What makes us think that? Okay? Here's the kind of thing that makes us think that. So suppose this is the region of phase space corresponding to what I was calling thermodynamic state A. Let that be an unmelted block of ice sitting in the middle of a floor, uh, of the floor of a warm room, okay? And let B be a puddle um, um, sitting at the same location uh, on the same floor, okay? And what we, what we said is, if, uh, if the statistical mechanical, what, what it is for the statistical mechanical project to work out in this case, is for that project to be able to make it plausible that on a standard measure, the overwhelming majority of points in here at the earlier time end up in here 10 minutes later or however many minutes later it take, typically takes for ice to melt, okay? Um, but there's more that we suspect that the program will offer us than just that. That is, we suspect that it's not going to be the case that that the, the small region of, uh, uh, of states that don't end up here 10 minutes later is, say, all clumped up in one particular corner of it. Okay. What we expect, rather, is that what you might call the thermodynamically bad states, 
Okay. The few that are in here at this time that are going to be somewhere else 10 minutes down the road. Okay. Somewhere that doesn't correspond to normal thermodynamic behavior somewhere down the road. Are distributed sort of randomly around this region in tiny, tiny little clumps. Okay. The tininess of the clumps has to do with our intuition that this property of being a state that leads to radically non-thermodynamic behavior is fantastically unstable under very small variations of the microstate. Okay? That is, the intuition is that when somebody shows you a movie in reverse of a car exploding, okay, so that all the pieces come exactly back together and so on and so forth, okay, the thought is that, it, that if you had shifted, you know, a tiny bit the velocities or positions of one or two of the atoms in that, in, in the initial scene of the thing exploding, what they would do is just pass right through each other. They wouldn't make a stable car, okay? So the intuition is that these, that this condition of being, um, of, of leading to anti-thermodynamic behavior is extremely unstable, okay? So it's not as if they're all clumped up in, in one corner. They're scattered all around in very, very tiny clumps, okay? If something like this is true, okay, then it's clear that a lot of distributions other than this, just this uniform one, okay, are going to make the same thermodynamic predictions as the uniform one does. Any, any distribution that doesn't vary dramatically on scales corresponding to the size of these very, very tiny regions, okay, is going to give essentially the same predictions. Everybody with me here? Any questions about this? Okay. Good. Good. All right, so where are we? Here's where we are. Um, I will skip, because I said it last time, that, so, so last time, Last time we ended up by, by reviewing things you'll find in the literature that are supposed to be arguments that um, um, things like entropy can only be intelligibly understood as applying to ensembles of, of, of physical systems rather than single physical systems because say, you know, the, the Boltzmannian entropy of a single microstate is uh, zero, blah, blah, blah. You'll run into all sorts of arguments in the literature. You should tell those people to go away, and you, know, you should just say no. And, uh, 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 and th these are very, very confused ways of talking. If there are any questions about that, we did it quickly at the end of last time. We can chat about them, but there don't need to be questions about that. Oh, good. So well, no, actually, let me, because you did do it so quickly, and we didn't do it in any... Let me just make sure, in, 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 in by question. Good. We were trying to... We, when we got to the end of, 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 of Boltzmann, we had this uh, transport equation that would tell us how the velocities would change. We had the H theorem that told us that this quantity would always change monotonically until it reached this special unique equilibrium state, and we said, gee, this, this is now starting to look like thermodynamic behavior, right? You start away from me, you start away from this special state, and I've proven that the dynamics will lead to that special state. Um, and we then said, well, we, there's a bigger task of trying to recover all of the 
concepts of standard thermodynamics in these terms. And the one, the one that was particularly worrisome was entropy, right? What do we mean by the entropy of the system? Okay, we want a kind of micro, micro physical definition of entropy that would match the macro physical one. We said, well, volume's okay, we know how to do that. Temperature, once you say that's mean kinetic energy, we know how to do that. Pressure, once that's transfer of momentum, we know how to do that. How the hell do we do entropy? And I guess we said this, but it's worth repeating. Uh, what Boltzmann discovered, or found, or whatever, but was so proud of it, he put on his tombstone. That was by his request? Yeah. Is that true? I didn't oh, know that. Yeah, yeah. I didn't know it. Yeah. I do know that. Yeah. I thought somebody made that up for him. No, uh, no, I think, uh, I, I think. I, I have no reason to, you know, I have no, I have no evidence to the um, um, Was, you know, he left, you know, when he hung himself, he left such a request? <laughs> <laughs> really? I, <laughs> I'm under the impression, okay, please, somebody can check. I'm under the impression it was clear that this was the truth. Huh, huh, huh. But, but, and, you know, but I can't trace it to uh-huh. a specific thing. Huh. Uh, so, well, what, what, what the hell, we were using this thing entropy, right? And the entropy was special also because it, it plays into this time asymmetric law that tells you what happens under irreversible, right? Under irreversible things, the entropy always increases. So, we wanted a measure of the entropy, or we wanted a definition of the entropy, and uh, so we have these macro states, and this is just to say what it is. Right? We have these macro states, which are describable by the standard thermodynamic parameters. We have the micro, right, the micro description of the system, which is in phase space, right, which is always in any particular case going to be a point in phase space. And there's the idea that for any of these macro states, there's a certain collection of them that here that will satisfy this condition, right? So we have, again, and, and this, the problem is the phase space has so many dimensions. You draw these pictures, it's really not doing you know, credit to, to what's going on. But you say, okay, here's my phase space. Here's all the, here's all the uh, states that satisfy some macro description, say, M. There's a standard measure of all of those guys, right? And what Boltzmann realizes is if you take the log of that, so call, call the measure of that omega, omega of m, of the macro state m, so omega is the measure, the standard measure of the micro states that satisfy this macro description, that if we take the log of that, and we define the entropy at that, things work out really nice, right? What we find is that, in a certain sense, this thing behaves in the way we wanted, you know, isomorphically to the way we wanted the entropy to behave when we were just doing everything at the phenomenological level. Okay? Now, the point Dave is making is people look at that and they say, but, hey, but, but wait, this is a measure of the volume, and again, you, you might say here, although I think there's deeper things to say about it, why the log? Well, at least it has this nice feature that if you take two systems, it becomes additive. Right? You can sort of think that through and see why that. But I think there's actually deeper reasons why you're using that, but let's not go into them. But then people say, okay, but fine, this is well-defined, but why is that? What is this telling me about the nature of entropy? 
Now, why this? Why should I care about the behind of this? So you have sort of the, the three options on the table. We talked about we talked about them, but let's at least just say it clearly, and then I'll hand it back. Option one is the one David's been beating up on. It says that's because the macro state represents my knowledge. Right? That's all I know about the system. This volume represents the world as far as I know, the actual microstate as far as I know. Entropy is therefore a measure of my ignorance. Okay? And you get actual, I mean, professional experts who are paid to do nothing but do statistical mechanics. Who, if you ask them, if you ever run across one, ask them this question. And you ask them a question like, I got, you know, I, I have a, I have a, a glass of water with the, with the ice and the, in the warm water in front of me, and suddenly God comes from heaven and reveals to me the actual microstate, tells me what it is. What now is the entropy of that? And they answer zero. Right. Right. They say, oh, if you now know, then your ignorance, right? The, your, your measure of ignorance is now that point. And the volume of that point is zero. Well, I guess it could be the log of zero one. <laughs> anyway, um, or negative infinity. Right. It should be negative infinity. Right. 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 The energy is going, going down to negative infinity. Even if the things, even if, or, or let it come to equilibrium, right? right. You know, your, the energy is now negative infinity. Now that's this, this is just complete lunacy, right? It's crazy. Gibbs didn't do anything quite that crazy, although you can do what he did and make it crazy. And Gibbs also looks at this volume and says, well, let's think of this volume as an ensemble. Right. Let's think of it as a huge collection of glasses of water with ice in it. Right. And you can ask about the distribution of that ensemble in phase space, and you make the distribution the sort of flat in the standard measure. And then you say, well, what the entropy is is a kind of measure of how much phase space that ensemble takes up. Right? Because after all, that is that volume. Technically, that's correct. So that, just to be clear, so that this would be saying, or this is often construed to be saying, um, something like entropy isn't a predicate that's, that's intelligibly applied to an individual physical system. Right. It's a predicate of an ensemble of such systems. Right. right. Okay. Everybody with me? No. I've got to stop. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, everybody with <laughs> me? Let me just let, let me just interject. It's not only in the it's not only in the context of entropy that this kind of picture comes up. There are people. There is this kind of disease. Um, well, I'll describe the disease, and then you, there, there. So people say. So people say the equilibrium state is by definition the state that doesn't evolve in time, okay? That stays stable in time, okay? And they say which, which, you know, what in statistical mechanics should we identify with the equilibrium state? Well, there is no individual microstate that has the property that it, that it remains stable in time, say of a gas or something like that. So equilibrium must be a predicate of, the, but there are probability distributions, the one that's uniform over the entire space, which by the way is not even the one corresponding to equilibrium 
you know, to the usual equilibrium state. It's the one that's uniform over the whole space, including the non-equilibrium states. Um, but anyway, there's probability distribution that's uniform over the whole space. It must be that probability distribution or the ensemble that that probability distribution represents that's, that, that equilibrium refers to, okay? Um, or, or it's a law of thermodynamics that entropy increases monotonically. Okay, but there aren't any micro trajectories on which the entropy for sure increases monotonically. It must be, um, th th this must refer to ensembles of systems. Um, the right thing to say to these people is, are you out of your mind? The, the, the point here is not to find the thing that equilibrium refers to. The point is to acknowledge that what we discover when we do statistical mechanics is that the claim that there is a real equilibrium state in that sense is simply false, okay? And the claim that the laws of thermodynamics are strict laws simply turns out to be false, okay? Um, um, but it's clear which way we should go. Um, uh, entropy in thermodynamics is a feature of individual physical systems. We know exactly how to identify which feature it is here. It's the size of the region in phase space, or the log of the size of the region in phase space to which the within which the microstate in question falls, blah, blah, blah. Sorry to cut you off. No, that's okay. So let's just keep track of the three options. Entropy is a feature of, right. one, our state of knowledge, right. okay? That's the only, that's the thing that have entropy. Fundamentally. Right. Two ensembles of systems. And three systems. Right. So this is Gibbs. Right. This you just associate, I don't know, James or whatever. Right. But this is Gibbs. Defined in terms of ensembles of systems. Okay? Let me just say a word more. So you say, but look, if I have this ensemble, it takes up a volume, and I have this measure of the volume, I can attribute to the ensemble this thing, this measure, and call it the entropy. Now, notice what happens. However, if you do this, then if we can ask conceptual questions about it, but beyond the conceptual questions, in a certain point, you're just absolutely screwed. Why? Because you want to say, one of the things we want to explain is the increase in entropy in non-equilibrium cases, right? Because that's what we notice, that entropy goes up. We define the entropy now as the volume of this ensemble measured by the standard measure. Okay, so let's take this ensemble and let the dynamics work on it and let it evolve through time, right? So a minute later, my, each of my points is gone somewhere, and a minute later I now have my ensemble. What's the volume of phase space that it fills up? We know the answer to that. He knows the answer. Somebody else knows the answer. What's the volume of phase space? We talked about it. It's the same. It's Rouville's theorem. Right. Exactly what Rouville's theorem tells you, this is the content of Rouville's theorem, but is there is also a can of worms because now, because these guys have a story about okay, but you have to see now they need another right. I'm saying yeah. yeah. that's a can of worms. Yeah. Right. So if you just do the natural thing, you say, right. well, this is the definition. Okay, right. how does that change through time? Right. I know that changes through time. It right. doesn't. Right. Right. Okay. So now you have to go through coarse graining right. and blah blah blah. Now right. you've got a whole Michigas. <laughs> okay. So that's option two. 
another bad idea. There, and then there's the conceptual issue, which is you wanted to say, look, what do I want to explain? I want to explain why that ice in that cup is melting. That's just not a claim about a huge ensemble of systems. It's a claim about a system, that system. Right? And, and also, it just if, if we construed it this way, they wouldn't amount to analyses of thermodynamic entropy. Right. That's something that's obviously applied to individuals. Exactly. Right. So then there's this third thing, that the thing that has entropy is an individual system. Right? In the, this is what we want. This is certainly what has entropy in thermodynamics. This is, a, this is called Boltzmann entropy. Right? As opposed to Gibbs. We're just not going to talk much about Gibbs. There's a hell of a lot of stuff about Gibbs, and he did a lot conceptually. I mean, mathematically, it's interesting. Conceptually, it's confused. And right. I don't think we're going to take the time to screw that up. Right. But let's make sure everybody understands the, the, why the Boltzmann entropy is the right thing. First reason, because it's a, it belongs to an individual system. Second reason, is there any difficulty understanding how the entropy can increase? Remember, one of the things in the you know, hand-handed way I do with the Gibbs, it doesn't increase. Well, here's an initial macro state M, right? Say this is the macro state of the of the water with the ice in it. Here's another macro state M prime, which is the equilibrium state where the water has melted, where the ice is melted and the, and the, and the temperature of the water is now evened out. The relative, the relative sizes of these is not even vaguely you know, indicated correctly on this diagram. The entropy of an individual system is the volume in phase space by this measure of the macro state it's in. Which means if I take this individual system and it wanders by means of the dynamical laws from here to here, which it perfectly well can do, its entropy, its Boltzmann entropy of that individual system will have gone up. Right? Because here, it's, it's a measure of this volume, and here it's a measure of that volume, much bigger volume. And in fact, part of what David's saying is the one thing we think we're going to show is that for almost all of these guys in here, it's a further fact. Notice this doesn't, I didn't mention an ensemble or anything else. It's a further fact that for almost all these guys in here, they will wander over here, and for almost all of them, their entropies will go up. But that we can accurately talk about the behavior of the entropy of an individual system, which is what we want to do, we can only do on this definition of entropy. Now, they're all using this equation, right? They're all using this equation. But Boltzmann would be spinning in his grave to see how some people are using it, right? Because the question is, what's the relevant Boltzmann's grave today? What's the relevant, right? What is the relevant volume doing here, right? What's it, you know, why is it showing up? Why do we care? Let me, you know, now that now that we're in this, let me maybe say one other thing. Um, um, I don't think we're going to have time to talk in this course much about um, about Maxwellian demons. But if you look at that literature, that literature for the past 50 years is dominated by this number one conception of entropy. And it's all messed up for that reason. Okay. Um, just badly, badly, badly messed up. I mean, there's a chapter in my book 
um, about it. Um, um, I think our understanding of it has gone further since that chapter was written, but the chapter at least includes a critique of the way this this number one conception of entropy um, um, is uh, uh, is used in those discussions and. Those discussions are just really confused from the word go because that's the conception of entropy that, that all of them depend on. Um, so can I just check? So two individual systems that instantiate the same macro state are always going to have the same entropy? Yes. At that, at that, what do you mean by always? Okay. Not for all time. Right, but, 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 but at that moment, yes. all systems. Yes. 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 Okay. So they will at that moment have the same entropy, right? And so, if you've got like a, just like an ordinary box of gas, which has a kind of typical microstate, and then a box of gas which has a weird microstate where um, there's no, there's not going to be any collisions. Yeah. Um, those two things have the same entropy. Have the same entropy. Yes. By this definition. Yes. Yes. Okay. Yes. It, and it's that that explains that the that the evolution of of the entropy over time uh, at a macro level isn't completely deterministic. Okay, um, um, it, it's it's precisely that fact that mean that, that that entails that on this definition entropy could evolve. Uh, in a non-standard way, um, in a way that violates the second law. What one wants to show, you know, the whole point of these statistical accounts is to show, as neutrally as one can put it, that in one way or another, those possibilities are neglectable, okay? Um, and one wants to say why those possibilities are neglectable. But yes, it follows from this definition of entropy and from the kind of observation you just made that they're there for sure. And, and that the point here is, you, you can see the role that this macro taxonomy is playing here. The macro taxonomy is carving up phase space into these regions. Okay? And two systems will therefore have the same entropy, Boltzmann entropy, if they satisfy the same macro description where you're talking about the macro description you use to carve up these regions. This also comes back to the box of dice we can carve it up with respect to how many fives there are, how many fours there are. That's not a thermodynamic, right, macro state. It's not one that shows up in thermodynamics, but it's a perfectly good carving up. Let me say, I mean, we're just, we're getting ourselves into more and more here, but maybe it's relevant. Look, this kind of talk might sometimes leaves people with the impression that, um, that it makes entropy look conventional, okay, in the sense that it depends on how we choose to carve up the phase space into macrostates, and it's important to emphasize in that connection that the carving up is in all sorts of ways not conventional, okay. Um, we, we, we start out in the world with this exact microdynamics, okay. It might or might not be the case, given an exact microdynamics, and you might call this the miracle of thermodynamics, okay? It might or might not be the case, given an exact microdynamics, that that microdynamics yields a relatively autonomous science at the macro level, 
Okay, by which you mean, what you mean by it's yielding a relatively autonomous science at the macro level is you take the microdynamics, okay, and you ask, is there a carving up of the space of available states, okay, such that on that carving up, okay, um, the microdynamics yields fairly robust and regular laws about which, which chunks of this carving evolve into which other chunks of this carving, okay? The idea that there's even one of those, okay, um, need not be the case, okay? That is, it might be that the only simple things to say about the world are the, are the microdynamics, and there's nothing that emerges on any other level, okay? It happens to be the case that the microdynamics of our world yields not merely one in the case of thermodynamics, but many biology, sociology, uh, blah, 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 blah. It yields many quasi-autonomous sciences of the macro, okay? That is, there are ways of carving up the, the phase space, the, 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 the space of possible states into chunks, okay? Um, 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 such that the microdynamics plus the measure, you know, so on and so forth, yields these, these regularities uh, that can be described just at the level of the chunks without referring to the microconditions, okay? Um, needless to say, most, given, given our microdynamics, most carvings up don't yield anything like that, okay? It's a very special property of a certain carving up that it yields something like that. It's also worth pointing out, there's another notion, a more straightforward linguistic notion of what you mean by macro, which means something like um, states that you can distinguish from one another without a microscope, okay? Or states that human beings can distinguish from one another without a microscope. Um, is there any reason why those capacities for sensory discrimination should correspond to the carvings up of the world that yield, uh, that yield a robust, autonomous science of the macro? Of course there is. There's obviously selection pressure. There's natural selection pressure in that, uh, in that direction. You want pieces of information about the world that you can take in through your senses that are going to be relevant for making predictions about what's going to happen um, um, in the next couple of minutes. So to the extent that biology can manage that, it's also no, co no coincidence that that carving up has some sort of rough correspondence with our capacities to sensorily discriminate, or at least that some of those carvings up have some rough correspondence with our capacity to sensorily discriminate between things, so on and so forth. So anyway, there's a, long, there's a lot one could say about this, but um, I, I didn't want to leave the impression that we're ending up with a notion of entropy here that is in some sense conventional because it depends on what looks like a nearly conventional choice about how to carve up the phase space. The choice about how to carve up the phase space isn't conventional at all. It depends on the details of the microdynamics. Right. Let me just say one. I mean, David's right on, on one hand about, but I, I wouldn't overemphasize the selection pressure thing. There's engineering pressure, right? I mean, it's, you know, you might have the following view. Uh, gee, suppose, suppose um, a creature could easily determine, so I have this macro state, and now I divide it in some way, I don't know where, whether there's an even number or odd number of particles on this side. Right. Right? And you might say, well, for the reasons David gave, that turns out to be very uninteresting information because if I can, if I can make that discrimination five minutes from now, it really gives right. very little predictive capacity. Right. 
But there are engineering principles that say you just can't make a creature, right, that, that reliably is going to be able to make that discrimination. Right. And that, again, comes from the first thing he said, which is that there's a question of just which carvings up lead to autonomous domains. Right. Do domains of, of that, that will have... Which gives you a vocabulary out of which you can make a science. Yeah. Okay. And that, that doesn't... Out of which you can make a science from evolution. That's right. That's right. That's right. Um, so you were saying that there's like a that we can also we can have sort of the thermodynamic phase space carving, but also the sort of dice yeah, phase sure. carving. Will that also um, does that admit of a notion of entropy? Is it this and is it the same notion? It it, it does sure. But, but look, the definition of entropy we have. If you just give me a, a, a carving up into macro states, there is a corresponding definition of entropy that goes through this equation. Period. Okay, and what we expect—I mean, maybe it's useful to notice what we expect in the case of the dice, because it's going to look a little different than everything we've looked at. Right. In the case of the dice, this is a macro description of shaking a die in a box, and here's a macro. Wait, 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 Tim, I don't understand. What? Macro descriptions are of states, not of processes. And the the what? I, you know, look, uh, fine, it's, it's of a, a, a die at the moment that's in, in the air in the middle of a box okay. with, a, with, with you know, some roughly good, good, indicated good. Uh, uh, you know, angular momentum, good. right? You want to take a moment in the middle good. of the shape. Good, good, good. <laughs> good. Now, I don't think it would matter if I, I made that a, a good. wider description. Good. Here's the die, you know, showing one, landing on the ground showing one, a few seconds later, here it is showing two a few seconds later, right? Each of these are macro descriptions. In this case, what we expect is that roughly a sixth, right, of the volume here lands you there. Roughly a sixth, very, very nearly a sixth lands you here, very nearly a sixth lands you there, and so on. But so that's going to be part of, you know, a, a statistical mechanical account of time. That's, that's right. Although in relation to the question you asked, I, it, it's not clear whether you would want to say in this case there's a useful application of a notion of entropy here if entropy is supposed to come along with the second law of right. dynamics right. or something like that. Um, 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 it, you know, here, here, the case, here, what's going on is that um, is that the predictions, in, in the case of melting ice, okay, the predictions we get from thermodynamics are what you might want to call macroscopically deterministic. Okay? They pick out a unique state, okay, as the state that this is overwhelmingly likely going to evolve into. In the dice case, that's precisely not the case. Right. Okay? So I don't know how loose you want to be with the word entropy, but to the extent that you connect the word entropy with the way it behaves in the second law of thermodynamics, entropy isn't going to be a useful right. notion here. Right. But but sizes of regions of phase space are going to continue to play the same kind of role. Right. 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 Good. Um, um, good. Um, and this description between the, the, this distinction, so a lot of things, so sounds like we've been wandering around for three quarters of an hour here, but actually 
we've mentioned a lot of things that are, that are going to be very useful in our later discussions, and one of them is this distinction on the macro level between macro determinism and macro indeterminism, um, um, which is going to come up a lot in our, in our future discussions. Okay, um, good. Anyway, where are we? Um, we're someplace like this. We started out with um, with a tension between the uh, time reversal symmetry of the micro laws, okay, and uh, the time reversal asymmetry of things like the second law of thermodynamics, okay, um, and now we're in a puzzling situation because we have these arguments from Boltzmann or Boltzmann and Maxwell, or, or, you know, collections of people like that, um, that appear to be arguments to the effect that, given the microdynamics, which is fully time reversal symmetric, and given this measure, okay, which makes no reference to any direction of time at all, okay, we can derive the laws of thermodynamics, okay, although the laws of thermodynamics are time reversal asymmetric, okay? And a lot of people said immediately at that point, you know, what you guys have done is very clever, but something clearly has to be wrong here, okay? We couldn't have gotten a time direction out of these two elements, neither of which has any time direction in it. Okay, um, something is wrong. No doubt what you've done is profound and useful and illuminating, but I mean, as it's been stated, something is terribly wrong. Okay, and Can I just just say something on this? I mean, to, just to keep track of the historical situation. What David said is perfectly correct. When Boltzmann, the very paper you read, if you got to the end of the part that I gave you, he wasn't consciously aware, however, of a probabilistic, of the Stoßlaw-Ansatz, mm -hmm. this extra bit. Right. Now, David right. said that extra bit itself has no time direction. In right, it. right. He just wasn't even aware it was there. Right. So if you let me just right. read this last section. He says, it has thus been rigorously proved that whatever may be the initial distribution of kinetic energy in the course of a very long time, it must always necessarily, must always necessarily, I mean, how could you be more in fact, right? <laughs> it must always necessarily approach the one found by Maxwell. The procedure used so far, of course, nothing more, again, is nothing more than a mathematical artifice employed in order to give a rigorous proof of a theorem whose exact proof has not previously been found. It gains meaning by its applicability to the theory of polyatomic gas molecules. Then he, he, he goes on, but he, he's going to go on to say, um, again, a consequence of this is that you get uh, essentially the, the normal definition of entropy. Um, he says at this point, I've gotten all this rigorously from the dynamics, period. Which, so right. there, there are two steps in this, one of which is easy, which is to notice, and he, once it's pointed out, he notices, right. you know, he admits very quickly, right. it wasn't just the dynamics, right. it was an extra bit. Right. Then you've got this other problem right. about even with the extra bit, how right. do you get any time asymmetry? Right, right, right. Good, good. Um, so, like I say, a lot of people said, "Gee, I'm sorry, <laughs> that couldn't be right." Um, um, and there were a bunch of proposed formalizations of this claim. Um, 
And I don't know the history so well here either. Um, but here's a way of making it very vivid that something has to be wrong with this claim. So consider three macrostates. A, B, C. Uh, relative sizes are not well um, So these are regions of phase space. Yes? Okay. Um, let these three macrostates be three. Let, let, let A be the macrostate corresponding to an unmelted chunk of ice sitting in the middle of the floor of a warm room. Let B be the macrostate corresponding to a half-melted chunk of ice and a, with a small puddle around it um, sitting in the middle of the same room. And let C be the puddle. Okay? Good. Um, um, what people like Zermelo and Lauschmidt pointed out, um, I don't know if they did it exactly this way, but it can be summarized by Look, consider a trajectory, any trajectory, going from A through B to C. Okay? Any exact micro-trajectory. Okay? Good. Um, consider it when it's at B. Okay? Um, take this point here. Say. Define a new exact microstate of this system by taking this microstate and exactly reversing all the velocities but leaving everything else the same. Claim, first of all, that microstate is also going to belong to the macrostate B. Somebody make that clear. Why is it obvious that that microstate will also belong to B? Instant, just the velocities were reversed. Yeah, but the velocities are reversed. The velocities are all different. What makes it obvious that the same state with the velocities reversed um, still corresponds to the same macro state? Well, uh, it isn't obvious, not even true. <laughs> That's why it's not obvious. Of course it's true. <laughs> You've got a big block of ice. Yeah. At the moment, B, a drop of water, which is just hanging on the end, is going uh, down. Uh, okay, okay. Uh, good. And when I try to reverse it, I now have a drop of water that's on its way up. Uh, well, that's not... Everything has to be macro at rest. Yeah, but it probably melts at the bottom. So that it's... <laughs> But Tim has nonetheless put his finger. So let it be. So let it be smoke spreading, or 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 something like that. Um, um, let it be smoke spreading. The point is that if you take, say, a puff of smoke this large, you know, of, of intermediate size, reverse all the velocities. You've got a puff of smoke at the same temperature with the same, you've got the same macrostate. Everybody with me? Or it's even, let me just make a comment. Yeah. It's even enough to notice, which is obviously true, that the, the entropy of the time reversed 
Take right. the converse states. Right. They is arguing they're just the same set. The same macro state. Same, say that they fill up the same macro state. But right. suppose they don't. Right. It's still obvious that whatever macro state, it might be a macro state with a drop of water on an upward trajectory. Right. Its volume's the same. But I think, I, I think right. it's so, clear so, so to, the entropy to be actually the same macro state. I know, it's just people can get confused. Okay, so we had this discussion. We did have this discussion. Exactly. Right. Well, that was, about, that was about blood flow. Yeah, yeah. It was yeah. much more gross. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, um, but, okay. Good. So let it be a puff of smoke. Okay. Um, or let it be ice melting in a glass of water. How's that? Uh, that would do. <laughs> <laughs> um, let it be ice melting in a glass of water. Okay. So anyway, um, um, note good. So they say. So look. Not only is it not the case. Okay. Yeah. Is it? Uh, is is it because there are as many, like? For every trajectory that goes like this. Yeah, yeah, you're, 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 you're taking my, I mean, you know, okay. yeah, <laughs> that's, that's, that's exactly, you're, okay. you're stealing my punchlines. Right. <laughs> um, um, yes, that's exactly right. Okay. That's exactly right. That is, here's the, what they observed is well then look. Okay. Um, I don't know what kind of claim you guys thought you were making. Okay. Thought you were proving. But suppose, and here's a plausible interpretation, suppose you thought you were proving, okay, that, you know, that given that this thing hasn't been disturbed and won't be disturbed, you know, over uh, anywhere in the surrounding 20 minutes or something like that, the overwhelming majority of situations like this are on their way from here to here, okay? Um, if that's what you thought you were proving, that's just demonstrably false. Not only is it false that it's the overwhelming majority, it's as false as it can be. That is, for every trajectory like this, by going here and reversing all the, re reversing all the velocities, you get a trajectory like this. Okay? So, it's not only not the case that most of them are like this, there is an exact mathematical one-to-one -one correspondence between trajectories like this and trajectories like this. Okay? Um, so whatever it is you thought you were proving, you sure as hell weren't proving um, that, that most of the trajectories passing through here are on their way from here to here. Everybody with me? Yeah? Yeah. Um, how would this, if you wanted to sort of um, go with Tim's more limited kind of claim about just that if you reverse the velocities they have to that, 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 the, that, that, um, that, uh, that it, it can't be right that the overwhelming majority of trajectories passing through a certain entropy value are on their way from a lower entropy value to a higher entropy value. Okay? The exact same, there'll be a one-to-one -one correspondence between trajectories like that and trajectories on their way from a higher entropy value to a lower entropy Okay? Everybody with me? Okay? And what's impressive about this is that it's a completely rigorous demonstration. It just depends on the time reversibility of the laws and the invariance 
either of the macro state itself, in the case I prefer, at least of the entropy under uh, under reversing all the velocity, under the operation of reversing all the velocities, you get a strict one-to-one correspondence between trajectories of this kind and trajectories of that kind. Everybody with me? Okay. So these guys said, well, something is wrong here. It sounds like a reasonable construal of what you were claiming to have shown was that the vast majority of, of systems passing through here must be on their way from here to here. Okay. But that's rigorously, unambiguously false. Everybody with me? Okay. Um, it's also the case, you know, Tim mentioned this to me a couple of weeks ago. I mean, it's standardly the case in talking about the reversibility objections that one include that, that one talks about the Poincaré recurrence theorem. Um, um, and I sort of follow that tradition in the way I introduced them in my book, but I but I, I, I think I agree with Tim that that's not that this is this is the right one to focus on. Let me make a comment here, okay. just in, in terms of what what's the target? There are these two objections. You read any book, there are these two objections, right? Question, what are the objections to? Each of them can be taken as an objection to this to the passage I just read out of Boltzmann, right. which says, the input to my proof was nothing but the dynamics, right? Which is time reversible. The output of my proof is the proof rigorous proof of a time irreversible behavior. Right. right. Okay? That entropy will always increase in particular. Now, from that point of view, both of these objections are perfectly fine. You say, look, as long as there is even a single trajectory that does this, right. that's in it in fact you don't even have to match them up. As long as you're getting one that does right. this. But it's in fact much worse. Right. Um, uh, uh, that's consistent with the microdynamics, so you can't get proven from the microdynamics that entropy has to go up if you go down. The recurrence thing says, don't even worry about reversing in time. There's another theorem that tells me if I take this little blob, if I, if I take a system like this, uh, it'll eventually have to recur, and it typically doesn't, this is also something you write this way is if it's retracing its steps, but it doesn't have oh, to. Oh, no, yeah. Uh, okay, do I write that? Yeah, you think that, you know, the, the, the egg will jump back up off the ground. Oh, I see. It might just... Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Might right, and, right, right. and then reassemble right. itself here. I don't know. You have to think about it. Right. Um, <laughs> um, the recurrence thing tells you if you wait long enough, so you let the entropy go up in the system. If you wait long enough, eventually it'll come arbitrarily close to back where you started. So it'll come back to the original entropy, and somewhere in the course of that, the entropy had to go back down again. So again, you can't have rigorously proven from the dynamics alone that entropy always increases. Those are good logical objections. Now, but let me, but look, but let me add one thing to this. It is. It is, yeah, to, to the letter of what Boltzmann says, all you need is one trajectory here. But suppose you grant, okay, I've also added a, uh, a measure, okay. Um, the, the, the important point to make is that adding the measure makes things worse here rather than better, okay. If the measure is supposed to tell you the probability that it's going this way as opposed to going this way, you put that measure over this, you get equal probabilities. 
Okay. That, that, the, the probability that's going this way is equal to the probability that's going that way. So adding a measure just makes it worse. Okay? Everybody with me here? Good. Okay. So then you say, so then you have to step back, as I guess Boltzmann and, and Maxwell and people like that did at that point, and say, gee, obviously these people are right. But what the hell is going on here? What did I prove? Um, um, what's the deal? Okay. Good. And you think about it for a few minutes, and you say, I see. Here's what I proved. Okay. I proved, so take D. Okay. I proved that the overwhelming majority by the standard measure of microstates compatible with B, okay, are going to be sitting in C, are sitting on trajectories which 10 minutes later are going to be sitting in C. Okay? Good. Um, how could a claim like that be compatible with the perfect time reversal symmetry of the equations of motion? Well, here's how it could be compatible. I haven't asked here where they were 10 minutes ago. Okay. Um, but of course, it's perfectly, you know, it, but, but what I learned from cases like this, okay, is that, so, so suppose I'm dealing with a macro state here again, which is, which is uh, invariant under reversing the velocities. I reverse the velocities, I get the same macro state. So it's a puff of smoke or, a, or an ice, piece of ice in a glass of water rather than on the floor or something like that. Okay? Everybody with me here? Okay? Good. Then, to, if we are, what, what, we, what we can conclude from the reversibility objections is, is that if Boltzmann ar Boltzmann's arguments do give us this, okay, they also in the exact same way give us this. Okay. That is, if they do show that most of the microstates here are sitting on trajectories which are here 10 minutes later, okay, then they also show that most of the microstates here are sitting on trajectories which were here 10 minutes ago. Everybody with me? Okay. So, so obviously this is an unwelcome result, okay. Um, but so far, you know, we're at the stage where Boltzmann is scratching his head and just kind of trying to figure out how what he did was even mathematically consistent. Okay? There's a clear way that it can be at least mathematically consistent. Okay? It implies it in both directions. Okay? This is a completely, this is a picture completely compatible with the time reversal symmetry of both the microscopic equations of motion and the measure. Everybody with me here? Yes. Um, the before B and after B applications, um, those are both higher entropy. Are those they are both higher entropy. Are they the same application? Um, um, it, yeah, I mean, to the extent, to the extent that B is, uh, is invariant under um, uh, time reversal. That is, to the extent that if you reverse the velocities, you get the same macro state. Yes, then they'll be the same macro state. To the extent that it's just the entropy that remains the same, then it'll be claims about the entropies um, at these two times that'll be the same. Right. But take the simple case where you're dealing with a macro condition which is invariant uh, under reversing the under reversing the velocities, then it'll be the exact same macro condition. 
Okay. Good. Um, um, let's say a couple of things. Just, but, just, let's say a couple of further things just about the question of macro consistency. Um, consider this macro state here. Call it B plus. Okay? This is where the ice is. So B was the ice half melted. B plus is the ice three quarters melted. Okay? This is C. Okay? Um, if, if these, if, if Boltzmann's new understanding of what he's proven is correct, okay, um, it, it's obviously also true that the vast majority, the overwhelming majority, okay, of microconditions in B plus, okay, are also sitting on trajectories that look like this. Everybody with me? What's now going to be required for mathematical consistency um, of the various claims I've just made? That is, consider the following two claims. The overwhelming majority of microstates in here, okay, are going to, are, are, are sitting on trajectories that look like this, okay? That is, they're going to go through B plus, okay? And the overwhelming majority of macrostates compatible with B plus did not come from B. They came from C. What's going to be required in order to make those two statements mathematically consistent with one another? Well, how could it be that the overwhelming majority of these go through here, but the overwhelming majority of these didn't come from there? There are more in here. Good. There are tons more in here than there are in here. Okay? There are way, way more of these than there are of these. That's good news, okay? Because that's already what we're inclined to believe from the Boltzmannian uh, description of entropy. Okay? So that's working out consistently. Everybody with me here? Um, good. So um, it looks like We've now got a, so it looks like we've now straightened ourselves out, at least in terms of mathematical consistency. We know what Boltzmann proved. He proved this. Okay. Um, um, what he didn't realize at the time was a proof of this was, was also necessarily a proof of this. Okay. Um, is all that consistent with proving this about every macro state? Yes, it is, on the condition that the, uh, um, that the entropies of systems are related to their phase space volumes in the way Boltzmann had already said they were. Everybody with me here? Okay. Um, good. Let's see what else I wanted to say. Can I actually sure. interject something? Sure, sure. Um, I'd appreciate it. David's... I, I just want to do this. It's not going to be David's book, but because I've been thinking about things a little differently and we've been working through this example. So what David said was, look, what we needed the theorem were two things that are time-reversal invariant. The dynamics, which is time-reversal invariant, the measure, which is time-reversal invariant. Therefore, any... Theorem you prove better be, in some sense, time reversal invariant. And if the theorem is, 
most of the states right. are are turnaround right. states. Right. Okay, but that's time reversal invariant. Right. It's okay. Right. Also, I mean, let me just say, you know, when we say most of them, you, you, you do have to have a sense of what most means here. Ninety-nine point nine 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 nine. You know, very very close to one right. in the measure. Right. Do this. Right. And very very close to one in the measure. Do that. Right. So therefore, inescapably, very very close to one in the measure. Right. Like these are turnarounds. Right. Right. Okay. They're minimal entropy states on that trajectory. Locally minimally entropy states on that trajectory. Right. They're just dipping down. Overwhelmingly most. Now, there's another way of thinking about it, which is which, which David doesn't think about it this way, but I am now thinking about it. So let me just say this, because um, I think we should just carry on with this, not go on to anything. I mean, I think we should spend more time. Yeah, good, 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 great. Okay. Um, Suppose I say it a different way. I just want to make clear what the situation is. Suppose I say it a different way. I say, Boltzmann, of course, his theorem didn't follow from the microdynamics alone. It had to follow from something else. Now, what I've been telling you is that what it follows from is, is this other thing, what he actually did by the ansatz, right? The Schoenstall ansatz. And that's a claim about what? About numbers of collisions, the way I put it, it's a claim about the number of collisions that will occur in the next, you know, say, e seconds, where that's, you know, I, I want to know how many collisions will be, will Unlike the measure, the measure is time reversal. The measure is just a measure, right? You say time reversal measure. It's a measure on phase space. Right. You don't change anything. Right. It's not true that if you time reverse the ansatz, you get the ansatz. Right. Okay? The ansatz, as, a, as used, is not time reversal invariant. It, it is a claim about number of collisions to the future. And its time reverse would be a claim about number of collisions to the past. But can I ask a question here, yeah. Tim? <clears throat> Look, it isn't as if you, you wanted, you know, you wanted the extra assumption here to be sort of natural and inescapable and I, I don't know what, okay? Mm -hmm. In the form you just described it, I mean, look, look where you got the ansatz from, okay? The place where you got the ansatz was by doing calculations about the corridors of collision, okay, by, by finding the corridors of collision, and then saying, well, the particles are spread all over the place, okay? Right. Um, that is, it, what, the, intu the content of the intuition that seemed natural wasn't primarily and in the first instance that an intuition about the number of collisions that will occur. It's an intuition about how the particles it's spread an over space. About statistical, right, the statistical independence of the, of the distribution of the particles. Which is time reversal symmetric. There, you, could, you could, by a similar, I just want to make this distinction. Okay. You could, by a similar kind of justification, mm -hmm. try and justify the time reversal. Right. That's what you're saying. That's, That's right. correct. Right. It is, however, literally a different claim. I agree. Unlike the measure, which I, is literally the same. I, I agree, but the but but the claim is that 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 that, that 
point, here's the claim, that even on your way of telling the story, the point from which the justification originates, as it were, is time reversal symmetry. No, so let me, let me be really careful here. Okay. What I tried to characterize in terms of the naturalness of this was not a justification. It was that it had this status. Right. That if it holds, it requires no further explanation. Right, okay. And if it fails to hold, it does, that, that requires a further explanation. That's the status I've been in. But, 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 I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm not trying to be picky here, but I think this will actually illuminate something. The, the, I agree, but it's not, I mean, now I'm asking a psychological question about what's in your head when you're saying this. Yeah. Um, um, the, the, the thing that, the thing, the, the point at which you say, okay, now we can go home, is when you find that everything follows from a certain, from, from a certain claim about the world such that if it's true, you feel it doesn't stand the need of further explanation. Yes. That claim surely isn't this one. It's the claim about the uniformity of the, of the distribution in space, of the, of the failure of there to be a correlation yeah. between the distribution in space and the velocities. Yeah. Okay. Okay. And that's a claim, and that's an intuition from which you could derive this in both directions. That may be, I, I mean, I'm not, I, I have to think, do I understand what you're saying? Okay. I'm not even objecting to it. I'm making it, okay. the reason I'm going into this, because it may seem weird to you, is that I've been systematically confused about this thing forever. That's why we have John. What I was confused about, and why, if you read around in the literature, you might get confused too. Okay. The the H theorem is honest to God theorem. Right. Right. It really follows from the assumptions. And honest to God is time is not time symmetric. Okay. Therefore, it really has to have. There has to be a principle in deriving the theorem which is right. not a time-symmetric principle. Right. Right. This is not going to be obvious in the way David was saying things because, it, because he says, look, everything is time-symmetric. The point is, this really isn't time-symmetric. Now, if you ask, well, why can't I give the, what, what happens if I try to give the same argument backwards? People will say the, the following sorts of things. And I, I've heard this, I could probably find it written down. They say, look, um, it's true the, the time asymmetry comes in this way. Suppose two particles actually collide. Because remember, this is a claim about collision. Suppose they actually collide. And then people will honestly got to say things like this. They'll say, look, before the collision, they're not correlated. But after the collision, they are. I have no idea what they mean by right. that. Right. Exactly zero idea. Right. And then they say, so gee, it follows that somehow Something follows. I don't know what's supposed to follow. I don't even know what it means. Mm -hmm. I, you know, this, what do you mean they're correlated beforehand and uncorrelated afterwards? I agree. What is true is that the holding of this in the future direction does not analytically imply its holding in the past direction. Right? And indeed, they're going to come and apart fact, more severely. That's than right. That. If you're right. away from equilibrium, right. but right. holding it in one direction is implies the right. failure of holding right. it in the other direction. Right. Right. Because it's a theorem. Right? Because if it didn't, if it held in both directions, right. then the theorem would hold in both directions, which means you'd have to you'd have right. to equilibrium. Right. Okay. Well, uh, it, let, let's say one more word about that. This is just this is just intimately related to what you were just saying. Look, um, um, 
it's clear from this diagram, okay, that although this shows the mathematical consistency of a claim like this, it's clear that um, not just the ansatz, but this measure, okay, couldn't characterize any any um, uh, well, it, it's, it's not directly analogous to that. Anyway, it's clear from this. This is closely related to what you were saying, but in a, but in a slightly different language. Um, it's clear from this that this uniform distribution couldn't characterize such a system at more than a single moment on its trajectory. Why? Because for e at every moment at which the system is accurately characterized by this distribution, it's at an entropy minimum. That's what the theorem shows. Okay? Um, it couldn't be at an entropy minimum at more than one point along its trajectory. Okay? I mean, as long as it's sitting in equilibrium, right. it's okay. Right. It's but, if it's, but if it's in a non-equilibrium yeah. state, it couldn't be true at more than one instant. Okay? It couldn't be true at more than one instant. Okay? Um, that's going to be really important to, to what comes a little later, but I guess we won't get to it today. I didn't mean to interrupt. No, no, that's right. I mean, people got very confused about this. In fact, one of Zermelo's objections, Zermelo's really, really kind of stupid and obnoxious <laughs> if you read his stuff. But what Zermelo gets into the following confusion. He says, look, it sort of follows that, in, in other words, I look here, almost all of the trajectories that go through here are at turnaround points. Right. And if I look here, almost all the trajectories that go through here are at turnaround points. And he thinks it follows, well, therefore you've proven that almost every point on every trajectory is a turnaround point. Right. And that's, a, that's, in, that, that's just incoherent, right? You can't be that you have a trajectory where almost every point on it is a turnaround point. Right. Of course, it doesn't follow from the fact that almost all of these are turnarounds and almost all of these are turnarounds, that almost every point on any trajectory is a turnaround. Pre precisely because of the, of the increasing numbers of microstates right. as the entropy goes up. That's right. right. And right. You, you have to see the relative scales of these sizes of volumes. You right. keep saying these are not the scale. Right. You, know, you, you can only make these things mathematically coherent by understanding they're not the scale. So, I mean, officially on the thing, we were supposed to switch over to begin to talk about the nature of probability, but I think we got to just spend enough. No, no, no. We need to say more. We, I mean, we need to say more about their response to the yeah, responsibility yeah. objections. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Good. Okay. Good.